Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG from a little bit different of a location. What's going on Azul? How you doing man? I'm doing pretty good Chip. Uh, I'm going to be in Hawaii for the most of this next week. I'm taking a little bit of a vacation. So um, yeah, that's where I am right now. So I, I got here yesterday. had a pretty good first day. Uh, it's definitely nice being in uh, it's definitely nice here <laughs> i can I bet yeah um, azul yeah, out there the soaking up the rays getting a tan <laughs> getting a drink sitting on the beach you got some like big stuff planned that sounds like a pretty fun time man uh, we don't have a ton of plans yet i think we plan to do some kind of uh thing later swimming with like the manta rays or something um later today uh besides that we don't have anything else planned but we like looked at a lot of different things that we can go do you know volcanoes waterfalls uh you know beach locations so definitely a lot to do probably not gonna be able to do everything but definitely gonna try and do as much as possible uh while we're here for like the next uh four or five days so yeah excited to uh excited to see the sites for sure what about you chip how's your uh your week been what's going on with you yeah, very. Uh, it's been good. Uh, not quite as exciting as going to Hawaii or anything like that. But um, yeah, like I said last week, my wife and I were sick last week, but we got better. We're all good. I really wasn't ever that sick. I kind of was like just tired yeah. on Sunday pretty much, and that's it. Um, my wife was a little bit more sick, just some sniffles and like a little congestion and stuff, but was pretty much all better by Tuesday. We both had negative tests by the end of the week. And like, you know, we were pretty much a hundred percent by like Thursday, Friday, which was great. Um, so yeah, we're all good. Everything is good. We're just getting ready for, you know, the baby to come counting down the, the days, 33 weeks pregnant now. So we're, uh, we're counting it down. It'll be very soon. It'll be a little chip here. So, uh, looking forward to it, but it's going to be a, Wild ride, to say the least. But we're not yeah. here to talk about Azul being in Hawaii or me having a child. We're here to talk about Pokemon, about the Pokemon TCG. And we've got some uh, exciting, fun stuff we're going to talk about this week. We are going to spend a good bit of time this week talking about Worlds. The World Championships, kind of the big major tournament, what everything comes down to for a season in the Pokemon TCG the thing everyone wants to do is become the world champion. So to kick off the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of an interesting casting call that Pokemon put out there, which if you're living in the Los Angeles area, you're definitely going to want to listen up for. And even if you're not, you maybe want to just kind of give us your thoughts because it is very interesting. A little bit of speculation could be done about what this is for. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Worlds a little bit, preview what this year's World Championships may look like. We'll talk about some of our past Worlds experiences. Azul and I have both competed at World Championships before, and uh, so we'll talk about that, what our first Worlds looked like, what, you know, some of our favorite memories from Worlds, all of that stuff. And then we will, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text and then we're going to close out the episode with talking about how to prepare for the World Championships. So if you are someone who is competing in the World Championships this year, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for this part um, because, yeah, we'll talk about how we have prepared in the past, a little bit of insight uh, from Azul especially on how he has prepped for day one versus prepping for day two since he is someone who has competed in both day one and day two in the past. We'll talk about kind of that structure a little bit as well. And uh, then maybe a little bit about what Azul's doing to get ready for this year's World Championships. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else, Azul? You ready to hop into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's start with that. Uh, do you want to go ahead and read off the, the what's it called? You found like yes. a, a summary over for the, the casting call. Yeah, so let's there. talk about this casting call. So there was this like interesting announcement that went out. I saw it on a ton of the different like Pokemon news sites. We're looking at it here from Bulba Garden um, forums. There was this little image. Pokemon trading card game now casting. The Pokemon Company International is currently searching for an energetic, personable candidate of all ages and their families for an exciting new opportunity. Whether you are trying to learn the Pokemon trading card game to connect with your loved ones, hone your TCG skills to get to the next level, or are already a competitive player, we would like to hear how a Pokemon TCG expert can help you. Currently casting in the greater Los Angeles and surrounding area. Share your story now at PokemonTCG.CastingCrane.com. So kind of, uh, you know, they talked a little bit about what they're kind of looking for, but it's pretty It's a pretty wide range of what they're looking for in this, right? We've got from someone who's just looking to learn the TCG or someone who's looking to become a competitive player to someone who's already a competitive player. So pretty, you know, they covered all the bases there pretty much, right? Yeah, and it, they don't talk too much either about... I mean, the one thing they say at the end is how would... Uh, we would like to hear how a Pokemon TCG expert can help you, right? But that's kind of all the information we have on what this thing is, right? Yeah, I mean, like, well, the fact that it is a casting call, that means this is for some sort of show or something, yeah. I would imagine, or some series of some sort. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty interesting for sure. How a TCG expert can help you, I guess, as far as, like, making you a better player. Maybe it's, like, a little bit of, like, a coaching type thing or they're just wanting to find interesting stories related to the Pokemon TCG. There's another little statement here from Barry Sams, who's the vice president of the Pokemon trading card game international, or sorry, the vice president of the Pokemon trading card game at the Pokemon company international. And so I'll read his little quote here. The Pokemon trading card game has been a cornerstone of the Pokemon brand since it was introduced more than 25 years ago. And at the center of its success is its fans from dedicated players or sorry, from dedicated competitors in the play Pokemon program and casual players battling after school with friends and family to collectors or general enthusiasts. We're looking forward to spotlighting the stories of our diverse TCG fans. Anyone in the Los Angeles area with a Pokemon TCG story to tell is encouraged to apply. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I mean, it doesn't give us like a too in depth of, uh, I guess, details on what they exactly plan to it's do it's almost like it they don't like know what they want <laughs> it's like yeah i guess we want to find an interesting story that has to do with the pokemon tcg so that is the that that is the prompt here that we have been given yeah. so if you fit that bill if you've got some kind of interesting story you live in the la area could be a thing for you it does say that it's a pretty in-depth application it sounds like i saw someone else posting about this it's like 63 questions is what this says it includes questions like, where did the applicant grow up? What quantities, or sorry, what qualities does the applicant, <laughs> I can't read today, man. What qualities does the applicant possess that would make the applicant the best gaming contestant? So, so that's, a, is it like a, like a reality game show a little bit? Uh, maybe a game show, maybe preparing. 
I mean, it says a Pokemon TCG expert can how a TCG expert can help you, right? So maybe it's like a TCG expert helping you to play against someone or something like that. I or... guess I actually recently watched. So I've like almost never watched this show, but I, I know so many people watch it. Big Brother. Um, I've watched like two episodes. I watched one episode like last week, just randomly in a Discord call. Uh, and I'd watched like one episode before that, but like that, like when I saw this and then I'd watch that episode, I was like, I wonder if it's gonna be something like like that. Well, I doubt it. But, like, I've never really to... watched Big Brother. I do see people posting about it. What's kind of like the premise? How does the premise of that show kind of go? So it's like a, they get a bunch of people together who all live, you know, in a house together, and then typical reality week... show type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Every week they play games, and then depending on how well you do in the game, you either are like safe from elimination, or you get to choose the people who are up for up for elimination and then you know people get eliminated down to you know the top two people or whatever and then the the winner is the winner of the big brother whatever that season so um so yeah i saw this and then i like i watched an episode of that not that long ago like maybe think, is it gonna be something like that i don't think it probably will be like you know reality tv based probably more so just i don't even i mean i don't even would know would that be entertaining they, they don't really just be, I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but like, I mean, if you're talking, I, I, I think about it immediately from like the hyper competitive standpoint. Are we just gonna be seeing people play yeah. Palkia mirrors constantly? You know, like if they fully <laughs> prepped, or are they gonna throw kind of just random people in there with the league battle decks? You know, what's it gonna be like? Yeah, I mean, if they just have like people, like, I mean, it says like to hear how a Pokemon TCG expert can help you. So I wonder like how many people they're actually going to have. Like, let's just say they took Tord, right? Like they took Tord and Tord is like a, just teaching a bunch of people to play Pokemon. Like, I don't think I would watch that. Right. But like if they have something like more reality show based, yeah, there Pokemon has to be a story behind it. Right. Yeah. Like I would watch, I'd watch something like that. Um, but yeah, we, I guess they don't, they really didn't give us too much information on what it's going to look like. And they did say like specifically, um, they are looking for people in like, well, I said the Los Angeles area, so people like in California basically is what they're looking for. I mean, you gonna apply, bro? Like, <laughs> I don't. You're not really close quite... to LA, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not that far. I don't know if I would quite fit the criteria for something. Like he says, or already a competitive player, but I'm not sure they're looking for players who are like, you know, at the top. As I don't know what a... me, right? Well, this is how. <laughs> We would like to hear how a Pokemon TCG expert can help you. So if it was someone like Tord, I'm sure I could learn something from Tord, but there is definitely a limitation on <laughs> what I could learn <laughs> from a people who they would qualify as a Pokemon TCG sure. expert. Right? So I don't know if they're really looking for people who are in, in my situation where it's like very much an already established uh, top-level player. So For sure. No, um, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely think it sounds like something really cool like if i lived in la maybe i'd find a way to apply for this so like anyone out there if you're you've got a tcg story that you want to tell sounds like a a good place to potentially do it and maybe get yourself featured on some sort of show or something in the future who knows what the details of this are going to be obviously this is just a casting call so all we know is that it seems like they are developing some sort of show about playing the pokemon tcg which is awesome by the way because that is I mean, right now, the market for Pokemon cards in North America is like 99.999%. Well, it's probably like 95% moms buying cards for their kids and then like 5% collectors and then like 0.001% people who play the game, you know, something like that. (laughs) Uh, So like something, a show like this that puts actually playing with the cards in front of a big audience is something to be really excited about, which we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's like just very early on, but from what it sounds like, 
you know, it's something to be looking forward to, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, it definitely seems pretty cool. I wonder where, where it'll actually air as well. Hopefully it's that not just on YouTube and it's actually on, because uh, I'm looking at the post on what's called Bulba Garden at the bottom. It says casting for the new series is being carried out by Front Foot First, a company with extensive experience in casting for reality and documentary series across a wide range of U.S. TV networks and streaming platforms, including partnerships with Food Network, History Channel, Nickelodeon, and Taco Bell. So I don't think it's going to make it come to the Food Network or the History Channel. It might be airing across Taco Bells across the nation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wonder what, where it'll actually air. And I'm sure we probably won't see it for like maybe a year, like five, like six months at least probably, right? I think they that have if like... they're putting out a casting call now, it's a very safe bet to say we won't see this for at least a year. We might not even know yeah. more about it for at least a year. I don't know. The the Pokemon community is pretty leaky, though, so I wouldn't surprise That's if true. we know more than we should know about it. You know, once the people who are uh, called to be it part of this, you know, actually get there. Oh, so I'm sure there's so many NDAs these people are going to have to sign that get like who, who people who actually go through with the casting call and all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, there has to be. Yeah. But very, definitely cool. very cool. Definitely very interesting. I'm excited and to see what this actually is. Ends up being hope we actually end up being something you know that's like very like you know like they they could make something and they could just be very kind of uninteresting you know what i'm saying like hopefully it's something that would even capture my attention and make me want to watch it that's what i'm hoping for basically yeah but honestly i think more important than making you want to watch it is making oh like, yeah, yeah yeah you know but i want i also want to be something i want to watch as well sure sure I, general audience capture is best. Yeah, if I hate it and then, you know, millions of people love it, that's also good and it gets them involved in the Pokemon TCG. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, anything like this, if it's done well, I think people in the Pokemon community, regardless of your position as far as how good of a player you are or how long you've been playing or how involved of a player you are, you know, if it's produced well, I think everyone can find some enjoyment to watch something like this. Uh, of course, all depending on what it actually ends up looking like, everything at this point is still just speculation. Yeah, we probably won't hear about much of it in uh, or for a while. But let's move on from that. It's definitely interesting, and we'll keep our eyes on it. If there's any news to share in regards to other posts or anything like that, we'll definitely be sharing it here on the cast in future weeks and future episodes. But for now, we're going to spend most of the time today talking about the World Championships, our experiences at Worlds, and what this year's Worlds may look like. Of course, this year's Worlds for 2022 is going to be held in London at the Excel Center. This is where Worlds was supposed to be in 2020. Of course, yeah. ended up getting canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic, everything going on there. But finally, we are making it happen, getting to 2022 World Championships two years later. Uh, it definitely is very exciting. The kind of weird thing about this, though, is like it is the 2022 World Championships. But in order to qualify for this World Championships, you probably had to earn most of your points in 2019 <laughs> and then like maybe a little bit in early 2020. Right. Yeah. I wonder if anyone actually got their invite just from 2020. I don't think anyone did. I haven't heard of anyone. Not in did. North America probably... for sure because we yeah, our, our threshold was 500 points. I I don't think yeah. there's anyone who got 500 points in just this quarter. Yeah. So what is it in Europe? Is it 350 in, it's in Europe? It's 350. Right. 
So there was okay. I, I don't know for sure. It's definitely much more doable for someone from Europe if they played in a couple European regionals and then also got solid points at EUIC because the ICs just yeah. give so many championship points, even down to like top sixty four, I think gets a hundred points, right? Um It's a lot. It's a it's a huge amount so of the three fifty. But the one player who I thought um, had the best shot, I was actually just looking at the leaderboards questioning this, if so, anyone was able to do it right before we started recording because I had the same question as well. Uh, Mateusz Rusnek from Poland got top yeah. four at EUIC, had only been playing for a short while, got top four, which is 320 points. But according to the leaderboards, unfortunately finished with 320 points so that means 30 points short which is so crazy that someone got top four at the second biggest tournament of the whole season um as far as prestige definitely being an in internationals yeah and isn't able to play at the world championships what a bummer man it's it, it really just goes to show like to me there should have been more of an opportunity for someone who just started playing in the last couple of years to try to get their invite yeah, I mean, I wonder if they even went to – what if they didn't even go to any more events? What if they didn't I'm even try? Sure. I mean, yeah, because 20 points, that's not that hard. You know, if you show up at any of the other European regionals, you need, what, top 64, top 128, depending on if there was any of them big enough for that. But, yeah, it wouldn't have been uh, probably too difficult if you showed up to one or two of those. I mean, maybe that was just their one event that year. They're just like, all right, I'm just going to go top four this IC, and then that'll be it for me. <laughs> if I don't get it at the IC, I don't get it. That actually is kind of interesting to think about because it almost feels like the – championship points for ic's are i have never thought about this before but it's almost like they're set for to get your invite as an american player because our invite is 500 points you get 500 points if you win wait do you get 500 if you win you yes, do right you do okay you get 500 if you win an ic but everywhere else in the world is less points it just feels like it just kind of feels weird Yeah, but part of about... the reasons that the ic's pay out so many points um, like why you get a hundred points for top 64, which, you know, top 64 at, uh, North American internationals is a lot harder to do than top 64 at the Oceania internationals. It just kind of is right. Yeah. It's just such a yeah. longer tournament. Um, even though you're still playing Definitely. against great players, it's just a bigger tournament. Right. I don't think anyone would really argue that. Um, but they could try, but I think the part of the reason that you they pay out so many points to top sixty four, even at like, you know, OCIC is usually around like what three fifty ish players, something like that. I think, um, yeah. is because they want to give a good opportunity to players from those regions to get a lot of championship points because they don't have as many regionals as we do in North America. So that's true, that's they, true. they pay out so many more points for that reason, in my mind at least. I mean, I obviously don't know for sure. Uh, but that's like what would kind of make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not against them having more points, and I guess it kind of works both ways. Like they're almost, it almost feels like they're scaled to make it. If you win it, you get your invite as an American player. That's the way it just seems. You get 500 if you get first, right? And it's 500 points for uh, an invite if you're in America. But then I also mean, it, it makes works sense for America. Other way, uh, it works the other way around as well because it's like, well, there's way less events in all of these other places, right. so the point threshold or the points that you should get from the IC should also be higher for this for that reason as well. So it kind of maybe just works out that 500 was the number that they landed on. More Less so to do with like getting your invite if you are uh, a North American player and more so to do with just like we need these, we want people to get a, a good amount of points in these regions from these big tournaments. But it was just like, I never actually thought about that before and then it kind of like crossed my mind as we were talking about it now. It's like, oh, if you win it, 
or if you just get top four, you get your invite in other regions, but in America, you'd have to win it to get your invite, or if you're from North America. Not right. that it's a big deal either way, just kind of interesting. Definitely. I mean, and also, yeah, it does make sense, I think, for North America to have the highest point threshold. We get the most events, and it's the largest player base. So it just kind of yeah. makes sense, those two things combined. It should be the highest threshold to get your Worlds invite. I'm not going to complain about that, so... Yeah, so let's just talk yeah. a little bit more about this year's Worlds, kind of what it's going to look like. We said, Like we said, it's going to be in London uh, at the Excel yeah. Center. I think that – is this the same place that the London yeah. Internationals was held at? You went to that IC, right? Yeah, there's two in London. The back, the first two European uh, – yeah, the first two European ICs were both at the Excel Center in London. So it's a nice nice, uh, it's a nice center, I guess. Um, there's not too much – I guess the one thing about it, there's not too much like – if I remember correctly, there's not too many places to get food near it. Um, but like nothing's really too far either. Like one time I stayed in a hotel that was like a couple blocks away from the um, from the center itself. And the other time I stayed in an Airbnb on the other side of the river uh, by the O2 center, which is like where the, um, uh, the what's it called was held? Uh, the Olympics, right? Um, oh yeah, or yeah. was one, one of the parts of the Olympics, the O2 Center. Um, mm -hmm. I said an Airbnb on that side, and then we took like a it's called a gondola or whatever. The little the, 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 it's like a little thing that you get in that goes across the river. <laughs> I forget what it's called. Yeah. It might be called a gondola. I think so. Um, yeah. If I remember correctly, there wasn't like too many. The only thing that I can remember that being a downside, like it was a nice venue, uh, but there wasn't too many places to get food. If I remember near the venue, um, but besides that, I mean, it's a nice a nice place, and I like London a lot. I'm a huge fan of. It's probably where I am at my life from what I've seen so far, London is probably my favorite city that I've ever been to. So I'm excited to go back. Yeah. I went to London after EUIC with a little vacation with uh, my wife, Brooke. We had a great time. It was so much fun. Um, loved visiting that city. And it has like the, of all the big cities I've been to, like without contest, the best and easiest to use public transit of any yeah. city. Uh, it is so incredibly easy to get anywhere in the area it might take you a little while you might have to make some changes but literally all we did was on google maps you can just search where you want to go and choose the public transit option and it'll tell you what time all the trains are supposed to arrive to go through the gates you don't even have to buy they have it so you can buy like day passes and stuff like that but all you have to do is tap your credit card or like use apple pay and tap it on the um, the access point to get through the, the, the turnstile, I couldn't think of that word, um, and just go down into the subway system, and then you ride it wherever you need to go change. If you need to change somewhere, you go change, and it's just really easy to get all around. London was a lot of fun to visit for us. Uh, I unfortunately will not be at this year's World Championships because Worlds is about two weeks before our baby is supposed to be due, so it's cutting it a little too close, <laughs> unfortunately um in order to to make it to worlds this year so i was definitely a little bummed out about that because i would have loved to have been there loved to have visited london once again and you know had the opportunity to be at worlds because it's it's a ton of fun for sure the world championships is an event unlike any other yeah definitely 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 gonna be a good one <clears throat> um so we can talk so a little bit about like day one versus day two so yeah um, it's a little different this year as well. We don't know the exact schedule, but it's going to be a three-day event. Competition day one of Worlds starts on Thursday, and I think completes Thursday from what I understand as well. Yeah. And then day two will start on Friday and 
finish on Saturday. So you'll play Friday, and then some of the rounds will be played on Saturday. I don't know if it's because it's going to be like a day one, day two style, like a regionals, like a nine rounds into five rounds. I don't know that there'd be enough players for that, would there? Um, that's what everyone's been speculating. It's like there is a lot of people with day two invites now, right? There's 44 in Europe. There's 32 from North America. Of course, not everyone from North America is going to go, but most of the European players, I assume, would go. Plus, there'll be all the people in um, day one. And they, you know what they do at Worlds is they, they don't pick a set amount of rounds before the tournament starts. They right. will adjust it to try and get a a certain amount of players from day one to day two. So they could make it that you have to go like five, two to get from day one to day two or four, two, right? Like they can pick a number of rounds and set a record. You don't, they, it's not, they don't follow the, the round system that they do at every other tournament throughout the year at worlds. They, there's a certain amount of players they want to get from day one to day two, and they will set a record and an amount of rounds that you need to get to achieve that. So they can try and hit that number. So I assume they're going to try and hit that two fifty six number in day two to have it be the nine rounds into five rounds but that's a number right 256 no it's like uh oh is, is it, it 256 i thought it was 256 i can pull up because isn't like seven rounds well, like because seven rounds is like 70 something people isn't it yeah i'll pull or it up 64 real quick. I, 64 is seven it. rounds it's in here 64 yeah 64 is seven 128 is eight and then uh, 256 is nine plus day two of five or you, maybe you need 257 to hit the plus day two. I don't know what the calculation is. But they're, I'm pretty sure that's the number. It seems like that's the number they're going to aim for. And like I said, at Worlds, they kind of – they pick the round number. They, they pick the round number and what you need to qualify. It, it's I think two, based on that it's 227. It's 227. 227. Oh, okay. So that's even less. So. so 227 so. players into day two, which I guess is reasonable um, for them to hit that, you know – I don't know how many players it will be competing in day one, but yeah, it's definitely, it's different from every other tournament of the year because the way, like, like Azul said, they set a match point for you to get to, right? Uh, effectively. They set like in 2017, you had to get um, just four wins in day one. It was six yeah. rounds. So you had to go four and two or three Oh three. And at the world championships, this is something people always talk about. Um, day one, specifically, a tie is effectively a loss. A tie does you no good for the most part. Yeah, three um, ties is hard to get. It is hard to get three ties. So usually you want to try to play very briskly. I mean, you want to do this anyway in Pokemon tournaments, right? But you want to try to play at a pace that you can finish three games, especially if you think one of the games is not going to go your way. You want to scoop very quickly if you think a game is not going to go your way because you want to have time to get those three games in. Um, but yeah, the way it works is... So in 2017, for example, um, you had to get to six... You had to get to four wins. There were six rounds being played. If you went 4-0... You didn't have to play the last two rounds. They removed you from the tournament. Once you get to whatever match point they set, you get removed from the tournament. So if this year it would most likely be something like, you know, five wins out of seven rounds, maybe it'll be six wins out of eight rounds, something like that. Once you get to that record, they will pull you from the event. And then you've automatically made it to day two. Yeah, and then you just... You can leave. You can hang out for the last couple of rounds. But yeah, that's, you just don't need to do anything anymore. And what is? Do we have the numbers? I, I'm sure we have the numbers. But how do we? Do you know, do you know what they are? The numbers for how many people qualified from each region? I mean, I so can figure like, it out real yes, quick. Um, so in like, the um, in U.S. and Canada, 
I can pull it up real quick. I guess we could. I wonder if this is going to be like the smallest or one of the smaller day ones we've ever had um, because it's not in North America. Because like, I'm wondering like how many Europeans qualified versus how many uh, people from North America qualified. So in North America, we have 208 players qualified. And most a lot of them will probably not go. It'll probably be yeah. – I think even 150 is probably a lot of players that would go. Yeah, I don't think – I don't think we're gonna have 150. I've actually seen like as many tweets of people tweeting out, "Oh, I made it to Worlds and I'm gonna go." As I made it to Worlds, but I'm not gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> because you also, know it's it is a big a big uh, trip for for a lot of people. So a lot of people yeah, who did qualify will definitely not be going. I'm looking at the rankings here. 208 is Derek T got in there right at 500. We got to pour one out though for Anthony Bruno in 209th, who finished with 400. And 99 points. That's oh, the 99. <laughs> big feels bad. Pour one out for sure. Uh, over in Europe, the threshold is 350 points. And it's a lot more players qualified, um, which was kind of evident early on in 2019 that a lot more players were going to qualify uh, for this year's Worlds because, obviously, it was being held in Europe. So, you know, the yep. home region is usually going to have the widest representation. So a lot more players were playing that maybe wouldn't have normally previously because they were fighting for that spot, right? Yeah, um, go get those extra 50, 100 points or whatever. Well, actually, now I say that, but looking at it, 204 players from Europe qualified. So actually oh. still more Americans <laughs> qualified. Yeah, well, still, yeah, like, like you said, though, like a lot more opportunities for points in America That's as true. opposed to And there Europe, will still so. be more Europeans at Worlds than... Um, North Americans, North almost America. definitely. Yeah, for sure. And then yeah, in yeah. Latin oh, yeah, America, sure. I believe the threshold is 250. Yep, 250 for Latin America and Oceania. And in Latin America, we... Sorry, yeah, we're the IC all and live. Like, Australia <laughs> and I see, like, the, the conversion from, like, points to invites at the... Oh, at OCIC has to be so high then for... Yes. For getting people their invites. <laughs> Absolutely. But that, once again, what it is meant to Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so in Latin America, we've got 159 players at 250 or more points. And then Oceania, I would imagine, is going to be the smallest because it is the smallest player base. Of the four, we've got 51 players qualified. Yeah. I imagine not many from... Australia are going to come over. Obviously, everyone with the travel awards or like the, uh, you know, the grinders just outside of them will probably be making it. But that is probably quite a trip for them, I would imagine. I don't. I, I imagine flying anywhere outside of Australia is pretty expensive. So and then for the Middle East and South Africa, we've got 250 players qualified, the fifth and final rating zone. So sorry, 250 they need 250, 250 points. We have six players uh -oh. qualified. <laughs> Yeah, I was so, like, sheesh what the heck my, my <laughs> most players qualify <laughs> there's mistake. a lot of tournaments going on over there that i didn't know about then they just have uh, their own pokemon website where they have all their tournaments listed and then not listed here there will also be players from japan at the world championships and yep. i also believe from other parts of um like asia pacific region they have their kind of own thing going on now as well um, so I think like from Singapore and stuff like that, they'll have their own qualifiers for the world championships. I really don't know exactly how their structure works. I don't really know how Japan's exactly works as well. I just know that there's always a decent amount of players in day two from, you know, these other parts of the world because they like have another system to auto qualify for day two. Right. 
Yeah, like I don't even know how it quite works over in Japan. Like if you, I think it's like if you get if you qualify twice or three times, you get a day two invite or something. Because the way you qualify is just by placing in a tournament in Japan. You don't even need to like. I could be wrong with that, but I think you just need like top eight a certain tournaments, and then you that's your world invite. Yeah. Um, I could be incorrect on that. It, it, so I think it is something do, like that. Yeah, if you like, because I know like um, uh, Tuan Lei got their their day two invite after they top thirty two'd a tournament in Japan a while ago. They got like top thirty. I remember seeing their tweet. They're like, got top thirty two, got my day two invite. I have a dentist appointment tomorrow, so I'm not going to be playing any further or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that's that. What they yeah. said. So, um, so yeah, they they for from them getting top thirty two, that gave them their day two invite. Whether it was like from a point system or just like enough high enough placements makes you get into day two. I don't know. Um, I did hear someone tell me that there is going to be a lot more players from Japan than there normally is because they've been playing more consistently than we have. Um, so as long as they run tournaments, people who place in them get their invites. Yeah, so they there's had a lot more back Japanese in like 2021. Players. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot more Japanese players with invites. I don't know how many are going to actually show up to the World Championships, but apparently there's a lot more than there usually is with invites. So we'll see. Could be a lot of Japanese players in um, in day two. So yeah, and speaking of day two, we've got you know plenty of people who are going to be auto qualified for the second day of the tournament um and you're someone as well you've played in day ones you've played in day twos um it's definitely a lot different between you know the, i guess the prep work going in for how you prep for day one and day two we'll talk about a little bit more about prepping for worlds later on but just kind of what have been kind of some of the differences of your feelings going into worlds like is it a big confidence boost to go in knowing like okay i, I get to skip day one of play I mean, it's definitely nice. Uh, the two times that I played in day one, uh, oh, actually, I've only played in day one once then, actually, because in Vancouver, there was no day one, day two. It was a grinder and then people with their invites. Um, so the one time I played in day one, I didn't make it to day two um, at uh, the Boston World Championship. So it's definitely nice not having to just like go through those extra rounds. But at the end of the day, I don't think it actually matters too much. Like if your goal is to win the tournament, like it's so much harder to place well in day two than it is to get from day one to day two. Cause like the, the, the players are just better in day two already. Like already half the players are extensively better than most of the players. In the day literal one, right? best in the world. Yeah. Literally the best players in the world. Like, it, like it's like one thing to make it from day one to day two and then go into day two and you're hitting people like Stefan, Gustavo, Tord, Robin, uh, Bradner, John Ang. Like there's so many good players already in day two. Like if you can't make it from day one to day two, you probably weren't in a great place to even do well in day two most of the time. Um, of course, there is a lot of luck and stuff in Pokemon in general, but you know, if your deck choice and your preparation weren't enough to make it from day one to day two, I do feel like most of the time, uh, you know, you probably weren't going to do that great in day two anyways. I, it kind of is a little bit harsh, I guess, but I don't know. Like the, the, yeah, the player level is so much consistently higher in day two. There's a lot of great players in day one, of course, who like are as good as some of the top players in day two, who, you know, didn't quite make it to the day two invite or didn't even attempt to try and get the day two invite, much, of course. Yeah. But, um, but generally the more you do something, the better you're going to be. So the people who are those players who, you know, grind year round to try and stay on top and stay in top 16, top four, get the travel awards and all that stuff, you know, it makes sense that they'll be on average, the better players. Right. So, um, I mean, I think, uh, there's, yeah, it's definitely a pretty big advantage. There definitely is an advantage being in day two, but I don't actually think it's as big as people think it is like, because if, if your, if your goal was to win the tournament, or let's just say, let's say your goal was to like get top 16 at worlds, if you start on day one or day two, I don't think it's going to change too much of like 
your your outcome um, if you if you're able to achieve it. Like if you're able to achieve it, if you start in day one or day two, like it, it, starting in day one or day two isn't going to change up too much, I don't think, as long as you know come prepared with a good deck. I mean, I think for the players at the top level, it is a huge advantage, obviously, to make it to not have to play in day one because the main way that the top top level, I'm talking the top like 0.1% of players, the main way that the top 0.1% of players lose a game of Pokemon is a bad matchup or bad luck. And by playing yeah. less rounds, you minimize the chances for you to hit a bad matchup and you minimize the chances for you to have bad luck. I guess is a way to think about it, right? Yeah, there definitely is an advantage. It just doesn't feel like it's as big as people have made it out to be um, over the years. I don't know. Um, and I'm someone who's like I played in day one before, so I just it just it doesn't feel like it's as as big of an advantage as people make it out to be um, overall. Definitely an advantage. Definitely huge to not have to play day one. But I think if you know if your goal is to try and win the worlds, whether you're starting day one or day two, like. I don't think, you know, you having to start on day one is as big of a disadvantage as you might think it is, you know? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's... Um, and it also, I mean, yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's that as much yet. It just doesn't feel like it's as much of a disadvantage as some people um, have made it out to be uh, in the past. Or as, I guess more so, like, as big of an advantage as it is to get in day two more than anything. Like, Well, let's think back on the recent World Champions for the day, the two-day format. Because like you mentioned in Vancouver back in 2013, and I think even in dc in 2014 the format was different there wasn't day one day two there was a last chance qualifier and then the world yeah. championships um, yeah, yeah yeah i think 2015 the boston worlds that you played in day one was one of the first years they did the two-day format but that was a yeah that might have been the first one actually where they had okay. the two-day format so let's yeah, think back henry brand's the 2019 world champion day two player correct for that world's yeah they're probably better to look at like all of the top eight as well yeah um, i guess that would be I, I mean, everyone's goal is to win, well, right? I mean, one I can reference right now is 2013 Vancouver Regionals. Jason won from the grinder. So, like, um, and that's back when the grinder, if you lose a single match, you are out of the tournament. And Jason Glazinski won out through the grinder and then went on to win Worlds that year. So, like, that's, and that's, that's harder than just playing in day one. Because if you lose a match, you are done. You cannot lose a match. Yeah, you can course, start Jason 01 at Worlds day one now and still make it to day two, still win the tournament, yeah. right? Of course, Jason is one of the best players in the world, but that's still uh, quite the feat. Actually, I don't even know, how did Jason not have an invite that year is maybe the better question. <laughs> <laughs> Was that an ELO year? We could talk about the history no. of the past rating systems in a whole other episode, to be honest, because there was some wacky stuff that used to go on back then. Yeah, the ELO system ended in 2010 or 11. I don't remember which oh, okay. which year it ended. I think it was I think it was ended in 2010, but then 2011 was still top 40 with championship points, so it was still pretty bad, uh, but was not as bad as ELO. The ELO system was pretty bad. Um, okay, so we can just move on talk about a little bit of our world's experiences here, um, and so I've only qualified for two worlds. I'm definitely a little bit less uh, of, I haven't been playing quite as long as, I, I guess maybe people would think I have been. My first Worlds was 2017, and I played in 2018 Worlds. I didn't qualify in 2019 because I spent a lot of time casting at like the grassroots level. I went to a lot of regionals, but I casted most of them. Now granted, I did still try for my invite that year, and I did come up short. I played in a handful of regionals. I got top 30, I got, well, I think at one of the regionals that year, I got like, top 64 like i think i finished 33rd so outside the money and outside the 30 top 32 points um 
But I had a couple other regionals where I like picked bad decks, uh, didn't quite go my way. Definitely could have still qualified. I think I finished like 50 points short or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't qualify this year because obviously all the regionals I was also <laughs> casting. I think I only played in one regionals was like the Knoxville regionals. I got uh, top 60 or top 128 at that. Um, but yeah. You played at Atlantic City, right? Yes, Atlantic City. Yes. I casted yeah, Knoxville. Yeah. Knoxville was like a grassroots okay, stream. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, I think Atlantic City was the only one I played because I played the same deck as Grant who ended up getting second. Yeah. Uh, losing to you. Uh, but you, Azul, you've, <laughs> uh, you've qualified for quite a few more world championships, right? Yeah, so I've qualified for um, Vancouver, and then I did not qualify for D.C. Um, you say the that, years, because people might not know, like, what... Yeah, so 2013 yeah. was Vancouver Regionals. I qualified for that one. And that one, um, what was I going to say? Um, I, I, I don't know how close I was the years prior to that um, at all. That's back when the systems were a little bit different. I didn't really, like, attempt to qualify for Worlds. And even in 2013 for Vancouver, for I didn't, like, try to qualify. I was just kind of playing Pokemon locally and then towards the end of the season ended up with enough points to to get there so i was like okay well i guess i'll you know as and then i wasn't even gonna go but then one of my friends who qualified for the first time as well was like all right we should go and then i was like all right let's go and then we ended up going uh to vancouver uh and playing worlds that year and then after that dc i didn't really play much during that year it was 2014 um so i didn't qualify for that year um and then the year after that was Boston in 2015, and I qualified for that one in day one. Uh, didn't do great. I remember I played in the the Boston Open. I got top 32 in the Boston Open. That was the first time they had an Open, I think. Um, and then after that, every year after that, I've uh, qualified for the day two uh, invite since. So that's 2015 on. I've gotten the day two invite um, till till now, um, and played in every world since then. So, um, why don't we take a little bit of time here to talk about our first world championships and like a little bit of our in-depth experience, because it's, uh, something, I don't know. I mean, worlds is just special in general, but like your first worlds, you know, the first time that you worked for something and it pays off, you get that invite. It feels really nice. 2017 was my first invite and it, uh, was a little bit of a wonky year because they dropped the CP invite threshold halfway through the season because oh, yeah. it was super high. And I think we got to like three months before Worlds and like 10 people had qualified for Worlds <laughs> or something like that. It was like really bad. Like they made it – it was made more difficult than it needed to be. And yeah. I think, you know, they messed up. They went back and fixed it. Um, but it was a little weird because they went back and added more points to previous finishes, and then they also lowered the bar of how many points you needed to get. Um, so I got top eight and top 16 at regionals that year. At, at I got top eight at Athens regionals. I got bubbled at ninth place at St. Louis regionals, and those are kind of still my two best finishes. And so uh, from that, I ended up getting enough points from some cups and challenges and finished it out. I actually ended up getting the last necessary points needed by getting top 256 at NAIC in 2017. And I did it the entire season playing Mega Rayquaza was my go-to deck. It's what I always rolled with. Uh, I was always, the night before tournaments, I was testing something else out that wasn't Mega Rayquaza. 
and it, I just heard it calling my name from the backpack, had to pull the deck box out, adjust it for the tournament, and boom, was ready to go. I just kept running back with it, and that's what I played for all of my big finishes, and so I stuck with it for Worlds that year as well. Didn't go that good for me, unfortunately. It was a super fun time still, but um, I finished like two and four when it was all said and done. I did end up playing out all six rounds, even though after I had taken my third loss, I was still uh, in round five when I took my third loss. I knew I couldn't make day two anymore. I was like, you know what? It's my first Worlds. I'll play just for fun. And then in the last round, I hit uh, Gyarados, which was just like a terrible matchup because it was a one prizer that could uh, had ways to one hit KO my Mega Rayquaza. So it didn't quite work out for me, but... Um... I don't know what about you, Azul? You tell you said I guess you talked a little bit about your journey already for your first worlds in 2013. But what was it like actually playing at the event and how did it go for you? Yeah, so it was the first worlds for me was uh Vancouver. Um Worlds. I actually really like Vancouver. The city's really nice, it's right on the water and everything. I was, I was kinda bummed I didn't that's the only reason I was kinda bummed I didn't go to Vancouver this year because I like the the city so much. I also went there for vancouver regionals you know a while ago now as well but uh for that year i yeah i didn't like really plan to get my invite because like back then that was like the second time i think i'd even been on a oh maybe not maybe second time i'd even been on a plane maybe third because i'd been to yeah maybe that's the second time i'd even been on a plane the first time i went on a plane was for indianapolis uh nationals way back in 2010 but because that was maybe like the second time i even went on a plane was to go to vancouver regionals um and yeah i didn't really like plan to go to worlds i wasn't like playing for my invite i was just like playing pokemon locally with all my friends um and it got to the point where me um and one of my friends uh we both we ended up with our invite so we're like all right uh and then he was pretty set on going or we i don't think either of us planned to go initially but then he was like all right i'm gonna go you should come with too you should go you, you've already I was told like, the right. story of this podcast by the way yeah yeah <laughs> no, i'm like i'm like really excited. so we ended up going right and then i'm going um <laughs> to worlds like, yeah, i didn't plan on going but yeah i ended up getting my invite ended up going um and yeah it was a uh, i guess it was like a, i can't remember it too much it was it was definitely like a i was remember being super excited being there playing in my first world championships um Do you remember what and you I played? played yeah i played uh eels rayquaza um and actually another of our friends got top eight uh john bristow got top eight with uh with the deck and that was like his deck going to the tournament um i was a little bit more set on playing Darkrai. Uh, going into the tournament with with I had three plasma absol in there to help with the the plasma matchup because I felt like that matchup was really tough. I remember, um, but the night before the tournament ended up switching to the eel Rayquaza and I actually ended up doing pretty well. Um, I think I lost my winning in to someone playing Kling Clang, which was actually a pretty tough matchup. We didn't play the Victini. There was a Victini that could one hit KO Cobalion, EX. Um, we didn't end up playing that. Instead, we just played the Rayquaza so we could one-hit KO uh, Black Kyrams in the Blastoise deck. Um, and I still almost beat him, and actually John ended up beating him in top 32, I think, on the next day. So it was a pretty close matchup, actually, just with the baby Rayquaza. Uh, I wasn't quite able to pull it off in Swiss, um, but I think if I had won that one, I think I could have ID'd my next round or something, or I needed to win that one and then maybe one of the next rounds, and then I would have been in top it wasn't top eight, it was top 32 back then. They cut to top 32 or 64 or something, but I was pretty close to making top 32 at that one. Um, I know if I had won that one, I was really, really close. I don't know if I need to win the next one. I don't even know if you could ID back then, so I'm saying ID, but I just remember being really close and being like, okay, I if I win could. this, I'm I like, I'm almost there. I don't think there was ties back then. 
Yeah, I don't think I yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think there was. So I had to like win that one and then win the next round, I think. Or maybe that was the winning in, to be honest. That might have been the winning in. Young uh, Azul's memory 32. was foggy, apparently. Um, yeah, because like top thirty two was it was like a hundred and fifty people at the tournament, maybe. I can't even remember how many people were at the tournament. So top thirty two of hundred and fifty, you didn't have to do that great, right? Um four thirty um, or something. Yeah. So yeah, you didn't have to do that great to get top thirty two. So I remember I was close. I lost to them friend john who ended up making top eight they beat them in top 32 or top 16 or whatever um and played played ray it was a ton of fun my first first world championships um it's definitely a a a nice experience a good experience um and i think definitely now the world championships have more turned into being a little bit more of like a back then it definitely felt more so just like a tournament but i feel like even like naic and now the world championships as well have turned into being more of a kind of like a convention, kind of like an experience more so than just a tournament, which they definitely tried to do that back then with the World Championships, but I feel like it's turned into much more kind of like that in recent years. But I think it's what it should be, right? Like so many people are traveling super far distances, a lot of them right. internationally to come to this event. Like it should be more like a, a Pokecon. Um, the tournament should be the focal point of it, but there should be a lot more to like do and see while you're there at the convention um, for sure. And speaking of that, one of the big things they started doing recently and will continue to do at London this year is host open tournaments. So these open events take place usually during day two of Worlds, and it's for all the people who are not playing in day two of Worlds. And it's kind of a good way to kick off the next season. It's uh, a CP earning event, which there's been a little bit of controversy about that in the past, but it's just yeah. it's a way to start the season off. You play the same format um, in current day. In the past, there was times where you would play a different format, right? Where I think like because you used to rotate after worlds. No, I think you still played the same format because rotation no, you always still occurred. Worlds yeah, format, yeah, yeah, yeah. You played worlds format, but it was for the next season. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Do, that. do you have I mean I mean I I think I'll give my opinion on that, but do you have an opinion on the whole open giving CP? Because uh, it was a, like a lot of people made a big fuss about it when the open first not even maybe the first one, maybe it was like the I think the twenty seventeen one was where the big fuss kind of started. Yeah. But like they started in Boston, right? I think it's when the open tournament started was That's before in my Boston, time. Boston. I know there was not one at Worlds in twenty sixteen because I did play that year. Oh, I like right. started playing partway through that year. But I had some friends like I had gotten a little bit more involved like towards the end of twenty sixteen and like made some friends in the community and I remember the people I was like friends with and talking to who were at Worlds, like that Worlds was kind of miserable, wasn't it? <laughs> like the the capacity at the venue was super tiny. Like there was no way there was even space for an open event, right? That was that was Anaheim, right? That's San Francisco. Was San Francisco before Anaheim? So it was like yes. Boston, San Francisco was twenty sixteen. Okay, yeah, yeah. San Francisco. It was it was pretty meh. Like it was we we're in the ballroom of a hotel, which like it was plenty of space for the tournament, but there was like nothing else. I don't even remember if there was a Pokey Center like there usually is, um, Pokey Center shop at that one. I don't even know if there was, to be honest. Like, they were, like, counting people. Like, I remember at some point, I think someone who was a competitor was turned away, like, when they were heading down to go compete, because, like, no, there's too many people downstairs. You can't go down there. It's like, I'm the, the person was like, I'm playing in the tournament. You have to let me down there. <laughs> like, because um, there was, like, definitely. Kick somebody else out. People, <laughs> there's definitely an issue with how many people were allowed. Like, there was no spectators. Um, I don't remember there being a Pokey Center. Um, yeah, there was no spectators. I don't remember there being a Pokey, Pokey Center. 
and then they were being like super strict with how many people were in that area, which it was a fire hazard, right? But it was like Pokemon probably should have just booked a bigger venue uh, overall, right? I think that's the real problem there. It's not that the that they were uh, their 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 guidelines were too strict. Is that the you know the guidelines were in place and they should have done something better? Yeah, I, I forgot there was even an open. There was an open, not an open, and then there was another open. And since San Francisco, there's always been an open now, right? So I guess it's right. pretty safe to assume. Although it would be nice if the open information was put out a little bit earlier. I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that. I don't understand why it's not. Um, and maybe at this point we should just be able to expect there to be open tournaments, especially for a lot of people. Like I said, it's becoming more of an experience to just be at the event. And that is what a lot of people do is a lot of people come to the world championships to not play, right? Especially now with the way they've kind of scaled the event to be more of a experience and less of a just the tournament, I guess. Um, and especially if these people are player are players, like I'm sure they would all love to participate in the open tournaments, right? But it's hard to want like maybe that would be an incentive to go. But it would be nice to know that, you know, as soon as possible. I, should, I, I guess in this situation, they've given us a decent amount of time, but still, right? Like, I feel like it would be nice to know, or just could they even just set it as, as a standard and be like, there will be open, there will be an open tournament at every World Championships from here on out. Like, they could just say that, right? Like, yeah. and I feel like that wouldn't be, uh, that would help help people make their decision on whether or not they want to travel to Worlds and, and, uh, and go, even if they don't have an invite or something. So I'm a big fan um, of the open tournaments in general, just because it adds more to do at Worlds, like you said, making it more yeah. of an event as opposed to just one tournament going on. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that in general with side events becoming a lot bigger at tournaments, especially I think in big part, thanks to GLC doing really well recently. Uh, like a lot of people go to these tournaments to hang out, see their friends, play the side events or compete in the event. Most people still compete in the main event, but they're not really yeah. like, there's just so much more to do besides, uh, uh, I, I think like for world specifically, and then also for the regionals, they want people to just go to the event, even if they're not like trying to win the tournament. They want them to go have fun and enjoy a Pokemon convention more so, like you said. Yeah. But, uh, as far as the open tournaments awarding CP that count towards the next season, honestly, I don't see a, that big of an issue with it. I don't know. Like, I I wonder if you could go back and find the results and see, like, how big of an impact um, it really has on the rankings for the next year. Like, sure, the person who wins gets 200 points. Second place gets, like, 130 or something like that, right? Or maybe top four gets 130. Second place gets 150. 160 maybe um yeah but i mean sure it, it like the top few people it'll have somewhat of an impact but overall i think it's just you know giving a few people a good jump start on the season uh a good little and for many people it's going to be their first competitive tournament some people will go to worlds and they will be spectators, they'll watch the event, and then they're like, you know what, yeah, we'll play in this open tournament, and it'll be kind of their first exposure to what competing at Pokemon looks like. I don't know, what are your opinions, though, as someone who, you know, finds yourself consistently a day two competitor on how it affects competing for the next year's World Championship day two? Um, so, I mean, I don't think it has too big of an impact on that. If the player was already good enough to achieve it, they will, in, in my opinion, like the... Traveling to enough events, um, the the overall like variance of everything will pan out to where the best most of the time the best players who actually took the extra time to travel to more events will be the ones in the top sixteen or in the day two 
what's it called for that? I guess one of the ones, the, the I mean, the, one of the bigger gripes that I've seen people come up with is just like the idea of like for the chase for like, I feel like it's like such a privileged standpoint to complain about the, the open giving CP. Like it just shouldn't be a problem. No one should have a like a, uh, a problem with it, to be honest. But like the, you know, the stipends towards the, the next whatever I see is that I think the biggest point that I've seen people bring up in sure. the past is like, you know, it's easier to get towards that travel award towards that. It's not fair for, I did like the hand quotation marks for anyone who's listening and not watching <laughs> on YouTube um, for everyone else to like, now they're, they don't get to compete for that as, you know, uh, consistently, like, cause like the other people got a head start or whatever. Right. But like, I just don't think it's like, I don't think that matters. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. Like if you're truly going to try and chase that consistently year round, like you'll be able to get it as you know, if you're a good enough player and if you're not, then you're not going to get it. Right. And then for the player who maybe won the open, if they all of a sudden decide to be like, okay, I'm going to go for the top 16 chase. It's great to have more people who want to be, take the, the, the Pokemon game that more seriously. Maybe if they hadn't gotten those initial points, they wouldn't take it this season that seriously. But now all of a sudden they're like, hmm, now that I have this initial jump start, maybe I will. And then, but still, if they're not a good enough player, they're still not going to come out on top. And if they were the whole time, now we have another player in the mix to to elevate the competition, right? Which is great. Um, so I think it's just like a, it's like a fine thing. There's no, if they didn't give CP, I feel like it just, it should just give CP. The more I think about it, like, like no one would want to play in it. It wouldn't be an event that anyone cares about if it didn't give CP, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it should give. Now that I thought about it, like, if it didn't give CP, it would suck. So I'm so I'm <laughs> glad it gives CP, especially at a high enough level to kind of push people for their invites, or push push players to you know want to pursue doing like the the year round uh, stipend slash top sixteen day two chase whatever. Yeah, um, it needs so. to be differentiated from just a standard side event, right? Where like all you're getting is prize wall tickets, which yeah. I, you do you usually like the prizing for this event is the championship points, and then you usually get prize wall tickets for the prize wall at Worlds, which is equivalent to um, like I know in twenty, um, the prizing for it was so good at the Anaheim um, Open. I've I've played in the Anaheim Open and the Nashville open in 2019 because i didn't compete at that worlds but i went and played in the open yeah. tournament um and i got top 32 at both of them um and in 2017 Wait, have I we got... had worlds have we had worlds at memphis and nashville there's not been a worlds at I'm memphis thinking... there's been regionals at memphis oh, okay i don't know why i was thinking memphis all of a sudden i was like why do we have why have we had worlds at both of those locations all right no. go ahead sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember azul busted his butt on a bird scooter at memphis regionals oh yeah <laughs> in my knee a story for another time but um, uh i just remember um yeah 2017 like i got top 32 and i got enough prize wall tickets to go get a booster box but then in 2019 i played and i got enough prize wall tickets to get like two booster packs um so it was very inconsistent and honestly pretty dumb i think even the people who won the tournaments didn't even get a full box in 2019 yeah um, which is kind of silly because you pay like, I mean, it's like $30 entry. Like the London open is 30 yep. euro entry, which I guess is the same as a, or sorry, it's 30 pounds. Uh, yeah, not, not euros, the 30, same, 30 right? pounds, but it's like pretty much the same as a dollar. I think the pound is yeah. still a little bit more than a dollar, but, um, getting closer. But anyway, um, I don't know. I, I think that the open tournaments are great. It gives players something to do. I'm a fan of them. I've done well in two the two I've played in, so I like them for that as well. Um, you've <laughs> never you, you've always done pretty well at Worlds though, so I don't you've you've never had an open experience, right? 
I played in I played in the Boston, the Boston one, one. Yeah, but the yeah, more recent one time ones. I had a day one invite and I did not make it to day two, and then I yeah I got top thirty two at the Boston Open. Um, one thing I will mention about the they've been inconsistent about the the formats though for the opens. So Boston Open was cut to top thirty two, um, but they did away with top thirty two cuts pretty much uh, all together. Yes, uh, just like after that, and then you had the uh, Anaheim Open, which was a asymmetrical cut right right. if i believe if i remember correctly so they were like testing that out for the first time in pokemon they did an asymmetrical cut at anaheim and then maybe the worst that i don't know talk about what what that was asymmetrical cut is asymmetrical cut is when they're like okay we're cutting to a top eight but anyone with the same record as someone who is in top eight we will do an extended play in bracket where everyone will now like let's say um let's say there's the eighth seed has is at six to one, right? And the seventh, the the ninth, the players in the ninth bubbling out a cut is also at six to one. And then everyone past them is at like five three, um, or five three one, whatever. Um, so then the ninth, the ninth and the eighth seed player play against each other to see who is the eighth seed. So if you have someone who's, if you have ninth and tenth seed at six to one, then the eighth seed and the seventh seed play against the ninth seed and the tenth seed to see who gets to be in top eight. Um, so it's basically like if you end up with the same record as anyone in top eight, you play in to top eight against those players. And if you have 16 people, then everyone plays. Um, so it kind of like plays up the further and further. So being like first seed is actually an advantage as well, a bigger advantage um, than it's ever been in Pokemon. Being a higher seed in Pokemon has never been an advantage at like a regional. Like sure, you'd be like, well, you get to maybe play against the eight seed. It's like, well, the player skill level isn't a drop off. You're just hoping to hit a certain deck really for the most point. Like you're not like, you're never trying to dodge a player. Um, so it's like, oh, well, theoretically they might be a worse player because they're coming in that eighth seed instead of uh, what's it called? Second seed, right? But like, it's never really been actually a thing that actually is like an impact on your choice of or your impact if you want it to be uh, first seed, right? Um, so I guess one thing I'll mention about that, it'd be cool if in Magic, they let you pick if you want to go first or second in Magic, if you're a higher seed throughout all of top eight. It'd be cool if they brought that to Pokemon, I think. I think that would be like giving yourself a reason to play for a higher seed at these regionals and ICs and stuff would be, would be. I think that I think that'd be a fair advantage to have if you played for it, right? Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's uh, asymmetrical cut where they like, you know, if you have the same record as someone who is in top eight, top eight kind of extends down to the last person with that record it eliminates um, the bubble it, right which is always yeah, like basically eliminates the bubble. i think is like the worst feeling in pokemon whenever yeah. you well, have it, the same amount of match points as the person who made top eight but you get ninth yeah. place on something you didn't really have that much control over which is your opponent's win percentage yeah i'm a fan of asymmetrical cut as well uh, but another thing you have to keep in mind is just like the length of the tournament it does extend the length of the tournament so but i don't think by an unreasonable it's like plus one best two out of three right it's a plus one top cut match so plus, plus an, an hour, hour pretty much. Um, so not a whole ton um there is a difference between and i don't think i don't feel like so few people understand this. there's a difference between bubbling in and bubbling out if nine people have a record and one of them makes top eight that's bubbling in no one none of you deserve to make top eight one person got lucky if <laughs> Uh, seven people have the same record and six of them make top eight and one doesn't, that's bubbling out. And sometimes it's kind of close to 50-50-ish, um, but it's not a clean cut as always being, oh, I had the same record as someone as top eight, but I'm, you know, 30-second seed. <laughs> like, you did not bubble out, bro. You did not bubble out. Someone got lucky enough to bubble in. There's a huge difference between between those sometimes. So um, it's not quite as, uh, you're not always bubbling out. Sometimes one of you, one of you with that same record was lucky enough to bubble in. 
Um, yeah, but it sounds so much better yeah. to just be able to say, like, <laughs> I, I bubbled know. out, bro. I bubbled out. I was so close. That's like, yeah, but that's like instead of like saying, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just does Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I guess it makes it feel a little bit better for sure. It definitely makes it feel a little bit better, but there definitely is a difference. Um, but yeah, that's, they had asymmetrical cut at Anaheim and then at uh, the DC Open. This is the second time we've had Worlds in DC now that I'm thinking about it. Yes. Uh, 2019. Wait, what's 2018 Worlds? 2018 like was Nashville, they had the Nashville Open. I don't actually know. Did they? They had cut for that one, right? I don't remember. I did not play in that one, but and I know. They, so the Nashville. Go ahead. But yeah, at DC they had no cut. It right. was just the people who was who ended up first seed in the tournament won the tournament. And also, these tournaments are hard. Igor Costa and Xander Perro won. They had two opens at DC. Actually, there was they had twelve hundred people. They did two pods, two opens, no top cut. Xander Perro and Igor Costa, two of the best players in the world, won both of their respective pods, right? Yes. Um, uh, but there was no top cut, which I definitely think, even if you asked the winners of those tournaments, Igor and Xander, they would both be like, yes, we prefer there to be a top cut in these tournaments, right? Because they're not going to be able to go 801 and 9-0 every single time they rerun that tournament, right? So um, I think everyone would prefer there to be some kind of top cut, asymmetrical, top 32, top 8, whatever. I think we'd all prefer a top cut at these Open. So hopefully they bring that back for the London Open. And I, yeah, I do, I do forget the Nashville Open. But for some reason, it make, I do think that it was the same as the DC Open. Because I don't remember that being a huge surprise at the DC Open, that there was no top cut. So I feel like Nashville Open maybe was the same, where there was no top cut. I don't remember, though. Yeah, I might be able to pull it up on, um, on Limitless real quick. I think something that is worth talking about, I think about, we all prefer though... a top cut, though. Something that's worth talking about, though, in regards to these tournaments is the um, skill level of the competitors, because obviously the people playing in day two of Worlds are the best players in the world that year, right? The people who are at the top of their game, for the most part, obviously, like you mentioned, Igor Costa, Xander Peru, definitely two of the best players at that time, still two of the best players, um, you know still ended up winning the Nashville Open, but, like, I think a huge part of that is because they were just stomping people because they were way better than everyone else they were playing. They weren't... They, they probably met way less resistance at uh, these Open tournaments than they would have even met at a regional championships. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, all the players in day one who didn't make day two, they're, they're showing up to play, right? So, um, definitely going to be a pretty high-skill uh, tournament, for sure. So, um, on Limitless... I'll just say real so quick. I looked at Nashville. I, I found Nashville on Liquipedia, actually. So they actually did do the same thing as Anaheim. They had a asymmetrical cut. Yeah. They had a top eight asymmetrical cut for uh, for Nashville. There's only nine that. players, though, for Nashville, it looks like, compared to um, 12 for the Anaheim Open. According to, to Limitless, I haven't looked at uh, Liquipedia. Yeah, but it looks like there was maybe only one pod... 669 players yeah i remember it was really hard to register for that one because i tried to register for the nashville open and couldn't get in yeah and a lot of people had that experience um and i think a lot of people had that experience for the london open too because it did fill up pretty quickly i feel like right uh i think there no i think there was pretty open actually oh, okay. i think it was i i missed registration for the first one but it was open for four minutes i mean that doesn't that's not a lot of time and definitely i don't think is acceptable but four minutes in comparing that to uh past registration fiascos this year four minutes is quite a bit <laughs> when you compare it to two seconds um, <laughs> right. so the first wave was open for four minutes um i i uh did not get into reg I, sl I slept through my alarm for the first one and the second one i made it and it seemed i saw a chris a tweet from chris it seemed like 
it was open for a little while after that. And then there were still waves three and four after that, or is it three waves? There was a wave three after that. So it seemed like it was pretty comfortable to register in comparison to previous uh, previous years. And they're also doing a thing where if you register for the London previous Open years, previous, and you're still yeah. playing at Worlds, that you'll get a refund. They like have said that expressly, which is definitely a cool thing because it was not always said previously. And I think people who were trying to register just in case they didn't make the second day of competition. And I think this time it's a little even more different because um, like, I think it's going to be day two of Worlds will be broken up between two things. So there will be a lot more really good players playing in the London Open this year, most likely, compared to past Open tournaments. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Like, you'll probably see Azul playing in the London Open. <laughs> Hopefully <No>. not. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it'll be it'll be just, uh, like, theoretically, as far as we know, it'll just be day two of Worlds day two will be playing on Saturday. So everyone else will probably be playing in the Open. There's no reason not to. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we'll talk a little bit more about Worlds here to close the episode out. But before we do, let's take a quick little break for good old Guess That Flavor Text. Every week, we have one of ourselves pull a bit of flavor text from a Pokemon card throughout the years, read it to the other host, and the other host gets a chance to guess what Pokemon that card is featuring you get three lifelines as well. If you guess the Pokemon without using any lifelines, you get four points, and then you lose a point for every lifeline you have to use. The three lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then also read an attack name. And this week it is Azul's turn to pick and read a card. My turn to guess my chance to pull ahead. Let's see if we can make it happen. Azul, you got something for me? I do. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Let's get it. All right. It shows its cute side by chasing its own tail until it gets dizzy. Um, I am pretty sure I know what Pokemon this is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I almost just want to straight up guess it. Um, my initial thought is Zigzagoon. Zigzagoon's one of my favorite Pokemon, actually, from Gen 3. Gen 3 is my favorite generation of Pokemon. I always used a Zigzagoon on my team because you caught it really early on in the game, and it had the pickup ability. It just picked up useful items for you as you're playing throughout the game, pick up rare candies for you and stuff. Uh, and his animation in the game, he runs around in a circle, chasing his tail for a second. Um, I, I'm going to use a... I'm going to use a lifeline here and I'm going to have you say what stage the card is. And if it's a basic, I think I'm just going with Ziggy. It is a basic. All right, let's lock it in. Zigzagoon. No, <laughs> you're so confident. All right. It is not Zigzagoon. Come on, man. All right. All well, right, let's so do the other two lifelines then first. All right, doing the other two lifelines. Let us know in the comment section on the YouTube channel how far you get, or if you've already gotten it before or after the basic guess. It is from Plasma Storm. Oh, there's not a Zigzagoon in Plasma Storm. Should have asked that. And it has the attack <clears throat> Triple Slap. See, if I'd asked that attack, I would have thought it could have been Zigzagoon too. Yeah, um, I was just hoping you wouldn't guess the set because like if he guesses basic, <laughs> or if he asked for the stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I thought it was, 
a basic Pokemon anyway. Um, yeah, I don't really know what this is. I mean, I think of other dizzy Pokemon. I think of like Spinda. I also don't think there's a Spinda in Plasma Storm, but I could be wrong. I don't know. What is it, Azul? It's Giddy. Is what? Skitty. 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 <laughs> I just heard itty. <laughs> no, skitty. Okay. Skitty yeah, not, from not Plasma Storm. Yep, yeah, I, I didn't get that one, unfortunately. Whenever we're super confident, we're always wrong. Like, like pretty wrong. I feel like it's bad. Once, once you know you're super confident in something, you should just assume it's not what whatever you were confident in. Man. Just like, look, <laughs> dumb little skitty, bro. You couldn't have picked, like, the good skitty that you use in GLC, at least. The fake-ass skitty. I like the flavor text. That's why I picked it. It shows its cute side by chasing its own tail oh, until it gets Are all of them the same? <laughs> I think all of them are the same. Oh, there's, there's one other different one. The other skitty one is... Actually, I'm not going to say it just in case one of us uses in the future. We'll save it. We'll save it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Most, of, most of them are. It shows its cute side. Yeah. Well... Didn't work out for me this time. I've guessed the wrong... Oh, wait. Skitty's a Gen 2 Pokemon. No. Skitty's a Gen 3 Pokemon. I guessed the wrong Gen 3 normal type basic, unfortunately. Unlucky. Azul totally knew that both Skitty and Zigzagoon were Gen 3 Pokemon. I did not know. <laughs> All right. Well, I, was like, I, was like, I don't know. The Skitty's pretty old. It's probably close to Gen 3. Once you said, once you said Zigzagoon was Gen 3, I was like, oh, I wonder what Gen Skitty is. And I was like, Plasma, was it Plasma Storm? Is that what I said this one came from? I was like, that's, that's pretty old. That might be Gen 3. All right, well, let's uh, wrap up the episode here by talking about prepping for Worlds. So we've talked about day one versus day two. And, I mean, I think probably the obvious thing (laughs) that anyone would tell you when it comes to preparing for any tournament, uh, but definitely for Worlds, is to test. And test a lot. Find a group. Find people that you, um, you know, if you you don't know where to, like, find people to test with, uh, anyone who you've maybe traveled to a tournament with this year or anyone from your area who's also qualified for Worlds, or even if you just have friends who you play Pokemon with normally who aren't qualified for Worlds, maybe get them to play some games against you using one of the top decks and just really practice a lot. Try to consider what you think the meta is going to be. We've got some great... Uh, things to reference, obviously, the online tournament's still happening. The North American International Championship's going to be a great thing to reference, even though we didn't have the Pokemon Go set for that. Um, there's still going to be plenty to, to pull from that last event. And, yeah, um, just test, play a lot of Pokemon. Something that a lot of players do, and I think, Azul, you have done this before, is usually, like, getting to Worlds a little bit earlier than normal or, like, maybe leading up to Worlds, just testing a lot more heavily with your regular group. Um, uh, People a lot of times, like, get to... I know, like, the big European group usually, like, does a boot camp week before Worlds where they, like, get together for a full week and just play Pokemon all day for five, six, seven days and just figure out what the best deck in the format is have you ever done really anything like that or what have kind of has your preparation looked like for the world championships in the past not quite a boot camp like that i guess maybe leading up to dc worlds uh we did quite a bit of testing and we got there pretty early um to get uh pidgey control into the best shape we thought we could before the tournament um, yeah you were just missing the jirachis it was so close it was so close (laughs) (laughs) and no jirachis uh Tested a lot of the Malamar matchup, that's for sure. Um, 
but um, I mean, not really more too much more testing or extra preparation than what we what I normally do, what my group normally does, I guess, for like any IC or regionals, maybe a little bit more, like we all try a little bit harder, put in the extra effort, I guess, maybe a little bit more. But um, yeah, I guess that's fair to say, like, I guess ICs and worlds feel a little bit different as far as preparation goes. Um, but yeah, just trying to put in as much time as you can. I kind of say that in general, we're trying to just get better at the game or, you know, preparing for a certain event. Just as much time as you can put into the, the game in a constructive way is, is good. Um, I think it's, it's pretty tough to try and unless you really have a, a good group of players you can consistently work with. Um, it's really hard to come up with two separate plays, one for day one and for one for day two. And that's why we basically see almost everyone who makes it from day one to day two of Worlds plays the exact same deck, right? Um, like the it, the ratio of like, it's probably like over 75% of players who make it from day one to day two play the exact same deck in day two, right? So um, it's not a not, you don't want to like, you don't you shouldn't feel like you have to come up with a second deck. Um, it's really hard to to come up with a second deck and be as proficient at it as the first deck that you bring for day one. Um, assumingly, the, the second deck you're bringing for day two is the better of the two decks as well, right? So you're choosing to play like a worse deck that probably is just fine to make it through. Like if you just played Arc Intel at day one of Worlds this year, like that would be probably fine, right? And probably a lot of people will. Um, but then to also have another deck that you're just as good at going into day two that is better than that deck is going to be hard to come up with and be good at both, right? So unless you have like a solid group of players, it's really hard to do that. So I would say don't put too much pressure on yourself to try and do that um, and try and just, you know, get good at your deck. If you're just a, a player who's playing through day one to just get it good at your your deck. And if you're a player who's in day two, yeah, I mean, same thing, right? Um, one of the only difference we ever see that in is like when there's like a group of players generally who some of them are in day two and some of them are in day one. Um, generally, we'll see the players who are in day one get the worst of their decks, but they do that for a reason, right? They know that people know they play together, so they don't want everyone to know their day two play on day one, right? Um, yeah, we saw that a little bit actually in the 2019 world championships where, um, I mean, one of the big groups that people always have their eyes on is the like limitless European testing group. Um, yeah. and for day, most of them were auto qualified for day two. I think the group at that point is like, you know, players like Robin and Nico toward, um, Pedro, Pedro, all those guys, uh, already in day two, but in day one, a couple of the crew was still playing, which was Philip Schulz and, uh, also Jesper Eriksson, and they both played the ability-based Reshizard, Reshiram Charizard deck, which was not popular before that event. Everyone was talking about Green's Charizard. That was definitely the big way that people were expecting everyone to play that deck because that Worlds was also a little different because the rotation had just happened right before Worlds. Um, but the version of Zard that they played, it didn't have the... Did it have the nine tails? I can't remember if it had the nine tails. I know it had, it had the twelve fire energy instead of eighteen fire. The energy. fire crystals. Yeah, they had the fire crystal. They let them play the fire crystal build. Um, and then and that's in actually day what... two, Tord and all of that. Everyone played the eighteen fire energy build with the Victini Prism Star, which Tord ended up getting top four with, and Kai yeah. well, ended up running the playing. senior division with. Yeah, Robin actually ended up playing Mewtwo. I played against Robin in oh, that that's tournament. Right. Yeah, that year. Yeah. Robin played Mewtwo that year. Um, so that was maybe, I don't know, maybe that was their top two decks. I think it's what most of them played was the, the Abilities Art or the Mewtwo deck, though. 
Um, yeah, Robin like, Hood played like a Mewtwo yeah. deck with 15 energies or something in it, right? Some ridiculously high amount of basic energies. I remember because he played Jimmy on stream round one playing the Pidgey control deck. And yeah. it was like, man, this is tough. He's got a lot of energies in the Turbo Strike, <laughs> right? Like, just keep bringing them back. Yeah, that was definitely a deck we were underprepared for going into that. It wasn't a deck that was really on our radar with the Pidgey control. So that was definitely something we were underprepared for. Because I, I lost a Burt on stream as well um playing the Mewtwo Mewtwo deck um I think it was after I don't even I played against Bert and Robin I don't know which which who I hit first though I think I hit Robin first I don't remember um but uh yeah definitely not a deck we were super prepared for with the Pidgey control but yeah I mean that's like the <clears throat> that's like the only time that comes up drastically I mean if you have a group of players I think I think something that is like getting a group of players to work with in general, not just four worlds, but if you plan to be like pretty competitive and go to quite a few events, like it's a huge advantage to have only if you're kind of all on the same page and like kind of working on the same deck to play for each tournament. I think if like you have a group of players, I mean, it's better to have a group of players you work with than not, but if you just have a group of players and you just all show up with your deck for the tournament and it's like six players with six different decks, like there's, there's almost like not even that big of an advantage to be gained by having a group of players besides like, playing against each other right because but if you're all show up and you're all like we're all going to play this one deck let's play through the matchups with it and let's get this deck as possible as good as we possibly can and all learn the matchups that's where the advantage truly comes from having a group of players but if you all show up with your one deck and you six players six different decks there's actually not that big of an advantage to having a group at that point but if all six of you show up with the idea of trying to make a couple decks as good as they possibly can be maybe like two decks specifically for worlds to play in day one and then switch it up for day two to the to what you think is the better deck then there's an advantage to be had there for sure from having a group of players right together working on the same thing but if you all show up working on six different projects what's the point of being a group at that point you know so when it comes to choosing what deck to play, it can definitely be a little daunting. It's a big decision because it's like the big tournament that you've worked all year or two seasons effectively for many players at this yeah. tournament to to get to. Um, so, I mean, and obviously I think the biggest choice that you can make at any Pokemon tournament is what deck to, to choose. Like deck selection is a huge factor in how well you can or can't do at an event, preparing for the meta, preparing, you know, your deck with certain texts for certain matchups, all those things. Um, for 2017 Worlds, I talked about this earlier, I had played Mega Rayquaza the entire year, and I, the night before Worlds, wanted to play, um, I think I wanted to play, like, a Zoark Break deck, which Zoark Break was not as good at Worlds as it was at NAIC, but then right before the night, uh, before day one, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to stick with Rayquaza. It's what I've played most of the year. I'm going to stick with what I know and hope that that helps me. And I think there is some benefit to sticking to what you know really well, but I also think that sometimes it's worth recognizing when something is not as strong as it once was. And I think at that point, you know, Rayquaza was always kind of in an interesting spot and it did okay at that World Championships. I think a few players got top 16 with it actually. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I ended up, you know, hitting some tough matchups. There was... Uh, a lot of like Decidueye Necrozma decks running around out there, some Tapu Koko spread type things, and I hit both of those decks. And, um, you know, sometimes the meta just has shifted a little unfavorably for something that might be your favorite. So I think my advice from my experiences in the past is like be okay. Uh, obviously, be well tested, but be okay switching off of what you have known very well all year. Yeah, there definitely is like a balance. I guess maybe the best way to put it is like 
it's best to play something you're comfortable with up until the point where the deck you're choosing to play is so bad that you simply picking up a deck you're completely uncomfortable with but is so much better would net the same result right like if you're if you if your expected outcome from playing the deck that you know really well is top 64 and then mm -hmm. you picking up a new deck you've never played before and your play would be the hindrance to it playing well would also be top 64 it's way better to pick up the new deck because if you could just pick up on how to play it at an efficient enough level your goal your 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 ceiling with it could be to win the tournament right, right. but you're basically setting your ceiling with the deck that you know really well at top 64 right the ceiling with the new deck is to w could be winning the tournament um and the expected outcome maybe for your comfortability with the deck would be around 64 um so basically you're netting the same result from playing a deck you're super comfortable with or playing a brand new deck but the brand new deck ceiling is winning the tournament right so why would you not just like pick up the new tournament so there is a point where comfortability does become a detriment to your results irrelevant of how perfect you play with that deck versus how poorly you play with the new deck right and if your goal is to win the tournament or do as well as you can then just pick up the new deck and stop playing rayquaza over and over again right <laughs> sure um and then one <laughs> you see as an example <laughs> yes just an example no one has experience with that um <laughs> Um, and then one more question I actually am curious to hear from you, uh, being someone who's played in day one and day two, when it comes to prepping for day two, would you say that you usually have the deck that you want to play narrowed down to like a couple choices before day one? Do you already have the deck picked before day one? Like how much do, uh, the results of day one, what players make it in slash what decks make it into day two from day one? How much of an impact does that have on your final deck selection for the actual tournament starting uh, with day two? So it could definitely change up tech cards a little bit. Um, so the biggest thing is that, like I said, 75% maybe plus of players who make it from day one to day two play the exact same deck. And then there are going to be outliers. If you look at someone like Jesper or Philip Schultz, if they play in day one, you would assume the deck that they're playing is actually going to be different. But you can get a pretty good idea on the rough estimate of the meta of what is going to be the most popular decks in day two. Cause not only are the most popular decks from day one that make day two going to be played for sure, but there'll probably also be a decent amount of players who are in day two who, who will also play those decks, right? Cause they're popular and good, right? So stuff like Paul Cantelion, Arceus Cantelion are probably the two standouts right now. Um, it's like, okay, those will probably be the most popular decks day one probably have the highest conversion or probably the most of them will make it from day one to day two. And then probably also players in day two will also play those. Right. So, uh, but there could be some other like uh, decks that kind of a decent amount of them squeaks from day one to day two, where it's like all of a sudden, hmm, maybe you want to play that tech card for that matchup because enough of them made it from day one to day two. Right. And you look at those and you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this, but I've never had it to the point where I've ever changed my deck based on what did well in day one i've never changed my deck we've only ever i've only ever changed around tech cards i've never changed the deck i have had other decks that i would consider playing but there's never been enough of a deck that's made it from day one to day two to make me like okay i'm going to change my deck now because um, i can't beat that deck so basically you usually have a pretty good idea of what the day one meta will look like and you're already testing around that and then that's usually what has the most success from day one to day two um there's not ever a situation in the past where there's been like an extreme outlier i guess the one that was the most extreme that i could think about was um the year that robin won because uh, i didn't know at all about the baby buzz garb shrine deck um so we were like we saw that do well and we're like oh what is this deck what does it do Zoro Garb still beats it. Okay, we're fine. We're just gonna play Zoro Garb still, and we just played Zoro Garb still. So it didn't actually change our our deck choice. Uh, we did stop and think about it, but that's like the only time I can like it sticks out to me where I was like, oh, I stopped and thought about it. I was like, oh wait, it still loses to Zoro Garb. We're fine. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, and I think um, for this format, th- that format was a little different because there was a rotation right before, right? Or no, that yeah. was 2018. So there wasn't a rotation before. But it was oh, yeah, a new was, set. Yeah, was it was no. a new set. So yeah, like, new set, yeah. And it's it did change it up quite a bit because the Shrine of Punishments being in Celestial Storm, I think, was like... Yeah, I mean, Zorgarb is still the best deck. Turn- sure. Zorgarb was the best deck for a long time, and apparently only Fabian and Stefan knew about it for, <laughs> uh, like, yeah. <laughs> Zorgarb was the best deck in that in that format for a long time, I think. Yeah, but it. Uh, I'm. I mean, Celestial Storm had a massive impact on the meta, and people didn't really know how it was. Yeah. Gonna, oh yeah, Rayquaza as well. Because yeah, Rayquaza did really well. Had a couple top eight finishes. Pedro got top four yep. with it. Um, and then it was a, a decent part of the meta as well. And then that Buzzgarb Shrine deck was a really solid part of the meta as well. Yep. And if you don't, if you had gone into um, day two without having like thought about the matchup and not knowing day, during day one like what this deck looks like, maybe you. Um, lose some of those games with Zorgarb because you just don't know what they have coming, right? You don't really know yeah, the... Exactly. Uh, so, like, it, that, there's a, another point of, like, the advantage there of, like, being able to see what does well and be like, okay, is what we have still solid? It is. Okay, we're fine with this. We just... You have to know what to do against it, right? Yeah, and you definitely want to look at those results and, like, see... Because, like I said, like, it feels like... it's Like I said, 75% plus of people, it's probably on the higher end. Are just going to play the exact same deck which is fine like a lot of people show up with the deck they've tested and prepared for this is the deck that they think is best they're trying to do their best at the world championships and it's not going to be a huge hindrance on them playing the same deck either right like them choosing to play the same deck on day two probably isn't going to be that big of a factor in their end result from day one to day two or in day two after day one so um most people just play the same deck and that's usually the best way to kind of do it consistently on their end as well so that but you can take a lot of that information with you even if you're someone who's playing in day one you still want to look at what did good in day one to day two and now all of a sudden maybe you add a tool scrapper or an extra choice belt or whatever it might be some tech card for some matchup that uh, you're like oh well there's so many of these made it from day one to day two now i should play this card right you still want to even if you're a day one player you still want to look at it the exact same definitely well, I uh, I think that's pretty much everything we wanted to talk about as far as preparing for Worlds, as far as like our past Worlds experiences. We'll talk more about the specifics of the meta for this upcoming Worlds in the coming weeks. So anyone who's competing at the World Championships or the DC, or not DC, the London Open, <laughs> we'll talk about kind of our thoughts on where the meta is headed in the coming weeks. But for now, yeah, just wanted to talk about just kind of a general our, our thoughts on worlds and our past experiences and we really appreciate everyone listening uh that's all the time i'm going to take from azul because he's got to get out there and enjoy the beach man he can't be can't be sitting in here talking to me on a podcast so Azul, appreciate you taking some time out of the vacation to to run the cast real quick of course of course yeah thanks for everyone who's listening um <clears throat> be sure to uh leave us a rating um, on your favorite po- podcast platform that you're listening to us on. It does it is the fastest and easiest way to, you know, support the channel. As always, leave a like and comment on the YouTube. Let us know where you're currently sitting at on the guess that flavor text. Better than um, us, I'm score. sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure almost everyone's score is is better than us. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, let us know. Let us know how you did this week as well. Um, and yeah, it's going to do it for me. I appreciate everyone listening. Thanks so much for the support, as always. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.